Uh, my name is Kamini Raghavan and I live in Kent and I just want to also say thank you Rituja for having me here do this. It's very exciting. Hi, my name is Rituja and this is Roti, Kapra or Makan where we talk about the basics of life, food, clothes and the idea of home. first met Kamini in her house in Columbia City a few years ago. Her house was peaceful and welcoming. Fresh and earthy colors graced her home. Beautiful artifacts hung on the walls and vintage furniture graced the house. The space was fresh, hospitable, and welcoming, just like Kamini. Kamini came to the United States in 1984 along with her two-and-a-half-year-old son to accompany her husband who was doing his PhD. from raising a son who ended up working for President Obama to working in the US Postal Service, designing spaces for Starbucks, to taking care of her parents, Kamini lives her life mindfully and being present in each moment. My husband had done his uh, masters in Cleveland and this is from 74 to 76. He graduated from IIT in Chennai and then came over to the US to do his masters and got back in 76. And then we met in 78 and got married in 80. And, mm. you know, he was working at the IAS uh, at the time. But he would talk very fondly about wanting to, his, his stay in America and wanting to come back. And I think sometime in 82 or 83, he got serious about it and he wrote the GRE. So he wrote the exam and he got admission. So we kind of looked at that. He looked at it as an opportunity to come back. And there was a lot of pressure from my, you know, in-laws and my parents saying, let him go, let him do his PhD, you can stay here, you don't need to go. But, you know, that was out of the question. So he and I both came in 84. He took study leave uh, out of the IAS at the time and uh, my son was two and a half years old. And for me, it was exciting. Like who at that time, who wouldn't want to go to the U.S.? Kamini first met Raghar, her future husband-to-be, in 1977 when she was just 16. She was visiting her uncle in Bombay for her cousin's first birthday. Her uncle had invited this friend, Raghar, who was then working at ONGC, the Oil and Natural Gas Commission. Kamini and Raghar met, but she didn't think much of it. But as it happened, both their parents lived in Hyderabad and knew each other. A year later, Raga took leave from his job to study for the IAS and came to Hyderabad. And then they started meeting a little bit more often. Let's hear from Kamini what happened after. Sometime in 78, he sent his mom to talk to my mom, to my parents about wanting to marry me. Uh-huh. And I was in my first year of college. I said, no way. I said, I have to finish my, my um, bachelor's. I'm not getting married in my first year. But uh, I think he was persistent. He persisted and we wrote to each other, we'd write to each other and he'd tell me about all the things he's doing. Because as an IAS officer, you have to go through training mm. and you're sent to all these like remote little villages. And so we, he would write to me, I would write to him. And then sometime in 79, I think he said, you know, he said, you can still study. You can do whatever you want after we are married. You don't have to stop anything. He said, I'm going to be posted in all of these little places anyway. So stay on in Hyderabad till you finish your degree. 
so he persisted and i caved in and we got married in 80 what an adorable love story but kamini has another one about her honeymoon after we got married for a honeymoon we went to the academy in masuri the is academy is in masuri yeah and you're not allowed to like married couples are not allowed to live there together oh um uh, you have to find a house out, outside the academy you cannot stay in the academy where and and i was basically sneaked into his room mm-hmm. and he had a roommate and he told his roommate you know hey find another place my my wife is coming <laughs> so two weeks that because he still had two weeks of training to complete and so i was kind of hidden in his room for two weeks and the the we used to bribe the guy who used to bring the khana uh-huh. so he'll bring food for me in the room and at evening we'll sneak out and go into the city so two weeks i kind of stayed undercover oh, in the academy because married couples are not allowed to stay in in the in the academy uh-huh. dorms soon after their marriage and a brief stint in ias kamini and raghavan moved to america in her first year in the us kamini remembers feeling overwhelmed So, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. When I came, I was this very naive 24-year-old, not not quite yet 23, just a little over 23. I came in 1984, and at that time everything was new and exciting. You know, coming to the US and uh, uh living the dream, and very quickly I became terribly homesick. like uh you know once we settled in and we moved into our little apartment in Atlanta i was so homesick and just having to do everything by myself and take care of a little baby and not have a you know start from scratch you're meeting friends you you've got to get out there and make friends but you know it it there's there was a really nice community and i think part of it is because we were in the university my husband came to study and so there's the crowd in the university that everybody gets together and helps you they figure out they tell you where to go shopping and we used to meet once a week they moved to seattle in 1985 when raga was offered a job now let's hear how kamini got her first job so we moved in 85 my son was 3 at the time he joined montessori school and uh, i i just said i'm not putting him in daycare and i and i couldn't work i didn't have uh, a work permit you had to be here 5 years to get a green card so i used to just go help out in the school and uh, in the montessori school where he studied as soon as we got our green card which was in 89 i went to work in the us postal service that was my first job it was good in that it was my timings worked out with my son's school timing so my husband would drop him off i would pick him up that sort of a thing but i hated the job what was the job shuffling mail was what it was so you're in this big facility that all your third class mail comes in parcels and packages and things like that and i was just it was a boring boring job um but for the time it was right because it paid it was a federal job it paid really well uh timings were flexible and it wasn't a difficult job it was just a very mind numbing job you know there was nothing exciting or creative about it so i did it for about 5 years and then one day something happened i think we had uh, bought tickets to go to india my leave had been sort of you know granted they said you can go they just said you can't go we need you in in the post office so my husband said okay we need to like rethink and i said you know what i just want to ditch the job he said ditch it i said yeah well easy for you to say he said no ditch the job if this is not what you want to do what do you want to do i said well i've always wanted to be a designer he said do that he said quit the job 
mixed up. July 94, I'd been there for five years. He said, go back to school. So July, just before we went on vacation, I walked in and I said, I'm quitting. And it was the most empowering like feeling yeah. ever. And they tried to talk me into it. I said, nay, I'm done. And went to India, came back in September. I joined Bellevue College. I did the interior design program. I, I never thought I would ever be a designer. You know, I just thought I would continue to do a series of jobs. And I had had some little, uh, I had gone to school to be a bank teller. That didn't work out. It was not something I was interested in. So I was always interested like in the creative side of things. So I went back to school and three years in Bellevue College and I loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, really wanted to be a residential designer, doing residences and homes. And very, like in the third year of school, uh, we actually had a project working for somebody. And I realized very quickly that being a designer, a residential designer is, is a whole different ball game. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be like part psychologist, you know, you have to, because you, you don't want to offend yeah. the person whose home you're designing. You want them to think that they have the ideas. And then also the part of me was, you know, as a residential designer, you're, you're, you end up designing that person's house. So then I went into commercial and that I found was much more exciting um, because commercial design or doing retail stores, it's great because you're working in a team, you have a team of architects and designers working together and you kind of bounce ideas off of each other, you brainstorm. So that's actually what I ended up doing when I got out of college. I did marine design for a few months. We were designing boats. Oh, wow. which was uh, very interesting. I did it for about nine months. It was fascinating because I realized what a big boating industry Seattle has. And then uh, I got into a uh, few companies after that and did retail design. Mm -hmm. So I did the Polo Ralph Lauren stores, then we did the J. Crew stores, and then I moved to another company where we did the Nordstrom stores. So that was fun. I enjoyed it because it was working in a team. I got to travel to a lot of different cities and uh, work on stores and besides it was a nine-to-five job. Kamini had found her true calling as an interior designer but she had to take a break from this to move back to India to take care of her in-laws. There she tried her hand at being an interior designer but the demands of her clients and their insistence on Vastu Shastra did not make it a good fit. Another opportunity came by when she was called back by her boss in Starbucks to help them out with their stores in India. But the project tanked because of the worldwide recession. In the time that followed, Kamini started her own blog, Saffron and Silk, on all things she finds beautiful and took up her hobby of painting. Our conversation turned back to America and what it meant for Kamini to be a parent in the US. I started by asking about their choice to have an only child. It was not a deliberate choice, it's just what happened. You know, I don't know that we ever consciously said we're only going to have one child. Finances had to had a lot to do with it. You know, we were spending a lot on his education. When we came here, he was two and a half. And I, when we were in India, we didn't think about having another child. When we moved to Atlanta, my husband's stipend was $517 a month. And all our research, we said one bedroom uh, apartment is like 200 something with your stipend and maybe I'll do something on the side, we'll make enough money. Atlanta has this very odd rule. If you have a child, you have to stay in a two bedroom. So straight away, our finances got blown, you know. So I remember very clearly out of 517, our rent was 325 a month. You know, and we brought some money with us. There were restrictions at that time on how much money you could bring with you. I think $6,000 was it. So we had that in our bank account. 
you know he's making 517 so we have like 100 something to spend i used to babysit two kids which was actually a good thing because my son had company they were two year one was a two year old one was a baby mm. and uh, she full time they both mm. come in the morning drop the kid off and pick them up in the evening so my son had great fun because he had company to play with so what was it like to raise a child in the us You know, it was really easy for us because I say that because I meet friends now who have younger children and with all the pressures of, uh, you know, peer pressure and social media which was non-existent when my son was growing up. Uh AOL was the big thing. He'd get on AOL and he'd have all these chat forums where he'd be playing games. That was like a big thing for us then. But you know, it was really it was really fun, Rituja, and I don't know how to explain this but it was really fun to raise him you know we had we'd had our battles like in our later years because i was very young when i had him so when he was like 15 16 i was like in my you know early 30 mid 30s and we'd have our battle teenage battles but uh, nothing that i can think of that was ever um a struggle or difficult to do i never never knew my son was gay so when he came back from college from Stanford one summer and I think I want to say it was winter um something had been bothering him and he sat me down and my friends would ask me I mean hey does your son have a girlfriend does your son have a girlfriend you know how you kid around and ask your friends and then I would ask him hey Gautam do you have a girlfriend my my friends want to know so he sat me down he said mom you know how you keep asking me if I have a girlfriend I have a boyfriend and the first words out of my mouth were you must be joking or are you kidding or something like that and as soon as those words came out it followed with it's totally fine it's not a problem but my initial reaction was that so i never suspected that he would be gay uh so and you know right away i told him he said hey not a problem that's fine if you are sure about it if that's who you are not a problem at all i'm i'm totally fine with it and he said he was leaving back for stanford in a couple of days he said don't tell dad now tell him after i get back so i said that's not fair i said something like this you want to share with him too he said i know but you know don't tell him now tell him when i get back so i said okay i promise to not tell raga at that time so a couple of days later my son left and i still remember this so clearly it was late in the evening it was winter time because there was a fire going and i told my husband that you know this is what gautam told me and uh, raga said uh i think i knew that already so he interestingly as a dad probably saw something in him or I don't know and me as a mother didn't know it which was which was kind of yeah. you know interesting and then uh and I said you know he didn't want me to tell you he said why I said maybe he's worried you know indian you know how it is growing up in india and so my husband sat down it was late at night it was uh, weekend maybe 11:30 12 or something he went to the computer right away sent a message to my son saying hey gata mom just told me about this just so you know nothing has changed you'll always be our son we'll always love you and 5 minutes later we got an email back from my son who was still awake at this time saying dad i i don't know what to say i said uh, he said i never thought you guys would be so like cool about it so thank you for doing this you know so that was it so you as parents were accepting but what about your parents and your relatives so my mother had the usual questions like who will he marry what will they do about kids and you know just just wanting to know what their life would be like 
And then when they got married in 2010, my son got married to Andy. That's when the extended, extended family knew, and we got nothing but 100% support from them. And I think a lot has to do with how you as parents react, because others will take their cue from you. So I think if we had been all crazy about it, then maybe other people would have said, what's going on? But you know, we are totally fine. He's our child, and we have nothing to, you know, we are 100% fine with it. And what's really interesting is uh, my father-in-law, who was 85, when we told him, because when my son decided to get married to Andy, he said, I cannot do this without my Tata's blessings. He has to know about this. So my husband and I went into my father-in-law's room. He was reading a book and we told him, we said, he's going to marry another boy. He said, we have to do whatever makes our children happy. If this man at 85 can have this approach, who are we to say anything? So I think that, that kind of set the trend for the rest of the family. But Reflecting back on their decision to come to America. If not for any other reason, for this reason, that he, we came to this country and he can be who he is and work for a president like Obama and who's done so much for the LGBTQ community. If there's anybody out there listening who's struggling with this, either as a child or as a parent of a gay, ultimately, what do we want as parents? We want our kids to be happy, right? And like, why would we stand in their way of something like this? I think it's the fear of what the invisible they, it's always this they, what will they say? I mean, it doesn't matter. It's, it's you and your child, it's your relationship. Others will follow suit. They'll see you they'll see your examples and they'll just follow. Food carries such complex and rich memories for us. Talking about food with Kamini, she took me on a dreamlike journey of summers in Lucknow old colonial homes and European vacations and her family's history. So this is in Lucknow and this I must have been, gosh, uh, I don't know, in my early teens maybe. And my brother and I used to come home and we'd sit on the kitchen floor and my mother would make hot rotis and she'd put ghee on it. And, and for some reason I remember aloo gobi and rotis. Grandparents uh, spent a lot of time in Pune um, and my mother learned most of her cooking from my grandmother. My uh, mother's father was uh, postmaster general and uh, they lived in, you know, these uh, sort of government homes where they had a cook and my grandmother, my maternal grandmother grew up pretty much in the lap of luxury. She didn't have to do any cooking when she was young and she didn't have to do any cooking after she was married. So I think all the cooking my mother learned was post-marriage from my paternal grandmother. So there's a lot of um, Harashtrian influence. You give me my dal, you give me my roti, even to this day. Uh, that to me is comfort food and I could eat that three, three times a day, 365 days a year. I can eat dal roti. The first time I remember I really did a lot of cooking was my parents went to Europe on vacation and I was taking care of my grandfather. Mm. So I used to do a lot of cooking for him at that time. And this was, I must have been 15, 16 or something at the time. When I'd first met Kamini a few years back, she had remarked that she was a vegan. 
I was intrigued and we started talking about why she wanted to become a vegan and the transformation of her approach towards food. So when we came here, my son was like McDonald's. Uh, my home cooking was again a lot of North Indian food, some South Indian food every now and then. And uh, you know, I didn't have any awareness of healthy food or eating organic. You know, this is many, many years ago. I think it was only later when we moved to India. You know, when I moved, when we moved to India in 2006, um, I, I was getting sinus infections and headaches and things like that. And I thought a lot of it had to do with the pollution a lot of dust and construction and things like that. And then somebody, I, I attended a workshop and somebody said, try giving up dairy. And so I did that for a week and, and the, the difference was just like crazy. I, I felt like a new person. So that's one of the reasons I went vegan. And then, you know, the more aware you become about uh, factory farming and the way, where our food is coming from, you know, who's growing it, what has it gone through before it gets to you. I've been doing a lot of reading upon that. And the reading I did was mostly for health issues. My husband had a little bit of a health issue when we lived in India. And so those are all the things that kind of triggered us into going towards uh, organic. And India, the amount of pesticides they use is just unbelievable. So when we moved, we actually grew our own vegetable garden in our terrace mm. because there was so little availability of organic food in Hyderabad and this is 2006 not that long ago mm. so we actually we after we remodeled the house we had a huge terrace we said what what do we do with it so my husband set up a whole hydroponic vegetable garden wow. and yeah we were getting uh, I'm going to say half of our vegetables from our vegetable garden Wow! and uh, it was nice you know I'd run up and pick my veggies for the day and come down and, and cook it when Kamini first came to Seattle, there were very few Indians in Seattle. She remembers going all the way to Vancouver, BC to get her groceries. We then talked about her own personal journey and transformation of food and food habits. You know, when we moved here so many, many years ago, we craved home cooking because we missed it. And uh, then, you know, you get more mainstream, you become more Americanized, you become more Westernized. Then you start eating. There was a time when every time I went to India, I'd carry my cereal and my granola and things with me. Now I don't want that. I want to go home and I want to eat South Indian food. You know, and especially where my parents stay, I mentioned, they stay in a, in a sort of a retirement community where you don't have to cook. Everybody, you know, meets at, uh, there are a couple of dining halls you meet there. And it's 100% South Indian food and I can't wait. I stopped taking all those things with me now because I we've, we've done that. And we realized that what's best for our body is what we were accustomed to eating as a culture. You know, sometimes I look at the things that my grandmother used to cook for us and we, we didn't like it, we didn't appreciate it at the time. Uh, now we realize that what they were cooking was locally sourced, it was what was in season, it was what is available, which we poo-pooed at the time, but now we realize the value of what they were eating. So I'm like that. So now when I go back to India, I want to eat what is available locally and I don't want to go out and eat. I do not like going out. It doesn't work with my system. It's oily. It's greasy. I want home-cooked food, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it's interesting how we, how we go through that sort of a, you know, transformation or evolution. 
Kamini worked as an interior designer for many years, so of course we had to talk about home and design. I loved to design, and my mother will still tell me how I used to move things around, and I'll say, Ma, you know, put put the sofa this way. So I think maybe in um, those were the beginnings of my sort of uh, career as a designer, and I was always interested in the artistic, like arts. I would, I loved uh, ikebana and flower arrangement. I used to love painting. I used to love art. So, and I knew in my high school uh, that I wanted to be a, a designer, mm-hmm. an interior designer. Though in India at that time, they didn't really call it interior design. You know, there was this whole field of study called home economics, I think. Right. I'm trying yes. to remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Home economics. It was, uh, that was more like into sewing and it was a very, um, not design as, they, as we see design here. And uh, that was not interesting to me. And then I said, okay, if there's nothing like interior design available, let me go into arts. So I actually wanted to join the JJ School of Arts when I got out of high school. But uh, you know, Bombay was like this big bad place. It's like New York. You know, single girl going to Bombay is is not happening. And my grandparents lived with us, my dad's uh, parents. And uh, they were quite strict. And I think my parents were also a little worried about sending me to Bombay. So I kind of said, okay, maybe this is not for me. And that's when I ended up doing economics. Mm. That was, my degree was in economics. I see. And uh, it was only later, many years later after coming here, the way things happened that I went back to design school. Oh. Kamini took me along on her journey of her approach to decorating her home for the past 30 years. You know, I lived in Hyderabad for many years and people in Hyderabad are very much into Vastu Shastra. I am not myself, but I have to say though, Vastu Shastra is kind of like feng shui. To be very honest, I, I don't believe in it, but I do believe in a lot of principles of feng shui because that has more to do with like balance and harmony in the house. Like, like very simple example is like when you walk into a space and there's like a ceiling that's really low above your head, you're going to feel odd because it, it just it's like something is invading your space. So there are very definite rules in feng shui saying you don't want any angled walls. Angled, angled walls is like a big no-no in feng shui because it's, it's, it creates um, tension and it's not something that you're used to seeing. So there are very specific rules in feng shui that I fully, fully like understand but I'm not into Vastu and I hope that doesn't offend anybody because I know there's a lot of people who really believe in it Mm -hmm. Uh, but I am not into it but when we moved to Hyderabad just on a side note you know we moved back to India for six years and we remodeled the house that my in-laws lived in it was based 100% on Vastu because the contractor who built the house would not build it if it wow. was not Vastu compliant. Really? And also in the interest of resale, let's say at some point down the road you want to sell the house, uh, because people there are so superstitious about it, we wanted to make sure that we kind of aligned with the Vastu principles. Mm. Ultimately, a home is a home because of the memories and the people in it. You know, you want things that remind you of your home and you, so you set up your house and you have all your things that are Indian. Then you become more Americanized, more mainstream and slowly you have less and less of that and then more and more of what's, what's local. Um, and then you go through that phase where you have your house which looks like any other house 
and then you come back to your roots. Now, now every time I go back home, I kind of like go through my grandmother's closet, like what does she have that I can bring back and keep in my house? It's so last time I went, you know, my grandmother passed away just about a year ago. Oh. My my uh, maternal grandmother, the the grandmother who was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. But she had some. She was a hoarder. She had a lot of things in her, like her mm-hmm. Godrej Almara that I used to love. So last time I went, I found I found like a silver comb that she used to comb her hair with. So now I'm going back, and I want things in my home that remind me of my family of my grandmother i want things that remind me of my history i have an old box in which she used to keep her bangles you know when i look at it i'm like this is what my grandmother used to use when she was young we're talking like you know how many years ago yeah. so there's such i mean it's so so thrilling to to touch something or to have something in your possession that belonged in your family like 70 80 years ago. Yeah. You know that I really love that. I love old things and I don't I don't bother to fix them or I have an old uh, sewing machine that my mother-in-law used the foot pedal kind. Mm-hmm. You know the drawers missing but I use it as a side table to put something on. Yeah. I have a easy chair that my father-in-law used to use. You know the mm-hmm. old easy chair with the little things that come out and you put yeah. your feet on yeah. it. Um it was his chair. That was the chair he he was sitting on when he had a stroke and we found mm-hmm. he had a stroke. you know so that was his chair and he was a prolific reader he used mm-hmm. to read all the time he'd be sitting in the chair and reading i said i this has i want this chair you know so every time i look at the chair i'm i'm reminded of my father in law yeah. a couple of years ago i saw a photo of kamini in a beautiful black sari with a spun gold border the photo was taken at the white house with president obama Reflecting on this photo, Kamini and I talked about saris and Indian clothes. Every single day, I used to wear a sari to college, mm-hmm. and you know, my mother and I would go shopping for saris and things. I think now I I'm lucky if I wear it twice a year. You know, which wow. I, which sometimes I feel is a little bit. I feel is a little bit of a shame. I wish I could wear it more often, but I'm just not. I don't have. I. didn't bring enough with me you know i had when i came initially i brought all my sarees with mm-hmm. me now every time i go back i take a few back so now maybe i have seven or eight which i wear for special occasions uh, i do like wearing a saree and i i think seattle has been home for around 30 years more than half of kamini's lifetime has been spent here but it's really the people who make her feel at home be it her parents in india or her family in dc So I love Seattle. I love it. I love the the place. I like the people and I've had friends since we moved, you know, the last uh, 30 30 years. Mm. Um Yeah. Yeah, Seattle really grows on you. I say Seattle is my home, but it's not like Seattle is my home and India is not my home, you know, that kind of a thing. We So we moved to take care of my husband's parents and then now I've come back and my parents are in India. So there is there is this understanding that if I needed to go back to India to take care of my parents I would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat. If tomorrow I had to go back to India because I had to take care of them I would do that. So it's not like I Seattle's my home and India's not my home. It's um, it's just that I like you say I have I have two homes. Yeah. And a lot of things I like about being here but then I miss some of the things about India and then when I go there there's some things I miss about being here, you know. So it's it's just a question of uh, what's right at that time for you. Yeah. And yeah. then probably you know yeah. you're lucky that you have two homes. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I am. That was Kamini Raghavan, a designer, an artist, and a vegan. Roti Kapda Armakan is produced by Studio Disha. Music by Mansoor Ahmed of Resonate Productions. Our podcast is brand new. Subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Like us on Facebook. If you have any story ideas or comments for Roti Kapda Armakan, email us at rkmpodcast@gmail.com. I am Rituja and thanks for listening to Roti Kapda Ormakar.